The Crux of the Matter, Episode 38, Mopin' with the Ministry. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. And how are you today, Scott? Well, as usual, it is a beautiful morning. It is sunshiny, and today the temperature is very moderate, and well, that makes me happy. So how lovely. are you? We're yeah. just moderate sort of people. It's about yeah. the same here. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just to jump right into things this morning, um, in our What Are We Teaching thing, I uh, spent the the last three days in the land of a slightly... Uh, slightly more overcast than California, uh, coastal Oregon. Um, I did, I spoke at a pastor's conference in Cannon Beach, Oregon, which is, uh, right, a little coastal town, kind of a, uh, I don't know, kind of a lazy tourist town, I'd say, uh, about an hour and a half west of Portland. So right on the Pacific Ocean, I, I could see the Pacific Ocean outside my, uh, outside my hotel window. Um, which was really fun. <laughs> that was nice. And uh, got to hang out with about uh, 50 pastors up there and uh, talk about uh, talk about clinical depression and Office of the Ministry Theology, Theology of the Cross, all that kind of stuff. So that was that was really fun. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Got to see some of our uh, some of our classmates from from seminary. And that was a lot of fun. That's good. So did did you um, have uh like, did you write up something new or were you kind of going off your book or? This was mostly, this was mostly my presentation on, uh, on my book. I've done this presentation a few times in different contexts, although this is, I think the first time I had specifically done it for a pastor's conference, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because that was really always my intention behind the book mm-hmm. was that it was written for pastors, uh, was written for pastors. Um, now, most of its use has been uh, far outside of uh, far outside of that. For our listeners who don't know what we're talking about, about six years ago, I wrote a book titled "I Trust When Dark My Road: uh, A Lutheran View of Depression," and uh, and I've and I've kind of spoken on this topic multiple times throughout the throughout the country. But this is the first time I'd done it at a pastors' conference, and that was. Really, really fun for me, you know, insofar as talking about depression is fun, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but that was that was good because that was sort of getting to the really the heart of what I was trying to do. And uh, and that's been and that was really, really enjoyable for and me. And they received they received it well, I'm sure. I think so. I think so. Um, you know, pastors of all people kind of kind of get depression or should Um First of all, just there are a lot of things about the office of the ministry that lend themselves to uh, to depressive episodes. Uh, it's very it's very lonely. It's very stressful. Um, you're you're transferring grief from other people to you a lot. So there's a lot of compassion fatigue. Um, so I think most pastors can, if if the if it's sort of explained to them, they can kind of get it. Uh, but maybe haven't thought about it in quite those terms before. So yeah, it was good. Good. Yeah. What have you been teaching this week? Oh, well, um, so what, you know, I enjoy all the courses that I get to teach. I enjoy the students most of all, but, um, in my intro to theology course this week, um, I was talking about motifs of the atonement 
or themes Ooh. of the atonement. Yeah, isn't that kind of I you know, I like teaching that kind of stuff and and uh, you get to go dig a little deeper with with a college course like this than you often can in a in a parish stop, you know, parish study, but sure. uh, you know, so we talked about Christus Victor and we talked about the vicarious nature of the atonement and you know and, and how these things aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, and what I what what really gets me the most excited about teaching is when the students start asking questions that are really thoughtful questions. Sure, you, know, you can you can tell that you know this actually has sort of struck a nerve, or they they're kind of seeing the big picture for the first time, and um, they continually surprise me. I mean, they continually amaze me sometimes with their uh, with their questions and with their comments. Um, so that's what I did this week. That's that's fun. That's really yeah. quite a lot of fun. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Well, we are um, uh, we're going to kind of take a first pass at a topic that uh, that I think is important for for pastors to to really wrestle with, and it's something that has been kind of controversial in in many and various ways in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, and that is uh, what in Missouriana at least is typically called auxiliary offices and and the ministry. Uh, but why don't you uh, set us up for this, Scott? Okay. Tell well, this what we're is, talking about. All right. We're, <laughs> we're, we're doing this today in part because um, of another course that I'm teaching. And I um, am using one of the documents that our church body produces. We have an organization called the CTCR, the Commission on Theology and Church Relations. And they produce various statements about various important subjects. And in, I think this one was in 1981, so it's a little bit dated, but um, still relevant. And it's called the ministry. It's a mouthful. It's called the ministry, offices, procedures, and nomenclature, mm -hmm. um, or MOPEN, if you will, M-O-P-N. <laughs> Hence the title. Yeah, which is kind of cool. Um, and so uh, and what pretty I'm – dorky. It is a little, and I'm teaching. I'm so I'm teaching a group of church work students, future church workers. These are teachers, DCEs, you know, parish musicians, and and presem. And so, my job is to explain to them what is the office of the public ministry. What are these in our church body in our practice? What are these auxiliary offices? How do they relate to the pastoral office? And you know, what is a call? You know, a lot of this language is very. Uh, uh, unclear and used in ways that is unclear and confusing. Right. And partly I think it's because we sometimes speak the way the evangelical world speaks about being called by God or having a call or having a ministry. Right. Um, you right. know, we, we, sometimes we sort of adopt the language or the lingo of the, of the religious culture that we're surrounded by. And so this document, I think you can tell it's written by a committee and you can tell that it probably had committee members that didn't see exactly eye to eye. Because you can see the compromises in the language sometimes. You can see some compromises in the language or you can see in one place they'll say, on the one hand, we want to avoid this extreme, but we sure do we want to make sure we mention this other extreme too. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a bad document. It's, it's a little – I mean, there's a lot of typos in it. It's kind of poorly produced. Hmm. But, That's um, weird. It is. It's got a lot of, at least the PDF that I downloaded from the website, it's got a lot of typos in it. Um, you know, just, just mistakes. Hmm. Uh, so, so that's kind of strange, but it's, um, you know, it, it's got, it's got good Lutheran sources. Um, but you know, you can tell that the committee or the commission was wrestling, at least that's how it appears to me. They were wrestling a little bit over the issue of, you know, 
like for example, lay people administering uh, the sacrament or or preaching or lay you know lay people doing the things of the office of the public ministry. You know, can this be done? What under what ex, you know circumstances would this be done? Right. Stuff like that. And so I thought it would be helpful since a lot of our listeners are really into into church um, and some of them are church workers sure. that maybe we can just sort of do a sweep over this topic. Yeah. Well, it's a go- I mean, when I think about this topic, Scott, and, and kind of the whole thing, uh, you know, a part of my lens is always going to be to look at things historically because I'm that's just how I that's just how I do it. And. And what this document, as I'm looking at it, Scott, it, what it kind of does is it is outlining the challenges that Lutheranism in the Missouri Senate particularly has faced in the 20th century. Uh, if you were to uh, to do a time warp to the early history of the Missouri Synod in the early mid-19th century or yeah, early mid-19th century – what you'd find is basically that there were two categories. There were pastors and there were teachers. Yeah. And that was, and that was it. And, and the teachers were male and, uh, and, and the vocation that they had was, was really quite, quite explicit. They taught at the school. And, and that was, and that was pretty simple, pretty clear. I'm not saying it was easy, but it was at least simple. Um, things started to get a much more complex when you see the, the sort of multiplication of job descriptions on the one hand and, um, asking, asking questions about those teachers that, that frankly, the, First couple generations, they just weren't thinking in these categories. Nobody mm-hmm. was wondering whether a Lutheran school teacher was a pastor. Right. I mean, or, it, could, it, or could preach. Or could preach, or uh, far less could administer the sacraments. I mean, that yeah. just wasn't a, that wasn't a category in, in the Missouri Synod. Um, now there certainly were controversies about whether lay, laymen could do these things. And, and in fact, big part of Missouri's kind of early history was really trying to trying to wrestle that question to the ground. I mean, Walther's um, probably Walther's first major book that he that he wrote uh, was an essay that uh, that was presented to the Synodical Convention in 1850. Uh, Kirche und Amt is the mm. uh, is the German church and ministry, yeah. and was produced. It's kind of classic, but was produced and published in Germany in 1851. Uh, and and what he tries to do is sort of sort of walk this this line of understanding the divine institution of the office of the ministry. Also recognize, I would argue, particularly in the American context. Uh, the rights and privileges of the congregation. So you're going to find some other doc, some other uh, almost extended essays that Walther wrote, the right of the congregation to call its pastor and all these sort of things. So, so there's a lot of history there that really comes down to pastor, not pastor. I mean, just right. that, just that simply. Um, but when you get to the 20th century, 
and you start to and you start to see the multiplication of these offices. I, I'm going to guess, and I honestly don't know that the 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 next office that we probably recognize is probably director of Christian education. Be my guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be my, if it wasn't that, it might be a. Um, uh, director of music, minister of music, or something. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there is a history to having a cantor, right? Absolutely, but that wasn't really a big part of our history. I don't no. think because I mean, our congregations, Luther, frankly, weren't big enough, right, to right. support to support right. those for the most part. So, or the the person that was the cantor was a teacher in the school, right? Or the principal. They, exactly. That was that was just another duty. That um, that the teacher held. I, I mean, even when I went to Seward thirty years ago or twenty five years ago, that's depressing. Yeah, wow, thirty um, years. No, 20, yeah, almost. 20. Yeah, yeah, almost thirty years ago. Um, all of the all of the Lutheran school teacher students um, had to take piano. Um, it was. I. I mean, I think that that ended. In the nineties, but that was still in place. I'm pretty confident when when I went when I started at Seward in nineteen eighty-eight. So so that was still in place. But but when you get to this uh you get to the our congregations get larger and you you start to end up with a with a staff of multiple people, and are these people just hired? Are they commissioned? What does commissioned mean? Um, well, that's, it gets a that's lot my, nicer really fast. That's my big question is, and I know I've heard this explained before, but at what point did we begin referring to them as ministers? And by them, I mean teachers or other offices. Um, you know, was was it true that in the early days, and I don't know if this is, is or not, that the word ministry, the ministry, referred to uh, well, I know that it refers. There's like a general sense, a general meaning to the ministry of, but but at what point did we begin to say that Lutheran school teachers are mis- are ministers? Do you know? Well, is that always been? I can. I what I know and know is kind of a big word here because I'm not looking at my sources. So this is sort of um, this is uh, this is pastoral memory speculation here. Okay, it, is that there were a couple. A couple episodes uh, that that were kind of critical in in that process. One was uh, whether or not uh, for long for long. Let me back up. For a long time, uh, pastors were were given the right and permission to ride on our train system for free. Yeah, in 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 the United States. And uh, and at some point, and I want to say we're talking like the 1890s, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, the the question came up of whether or not teachers could qualify for that. So that's sort of that's sort of number one. And and you know we would con- would we consider them ministers? Well, you know I work for the church full time. Okay, you know that. So that's sort of a legal. Legal definition, not a theological definition. Um, the other was, and, and, and there's no question about this. The other was the question of the draft. Um, was how did, how did male teachers, cause really that's all we're talking about. And in the Missouri Synod, certainly until the 1960s, I'm going to say 50s, 50s or 60s. 
um, how, did male were male teachers disqualified from the draft as a result in, in school as a result of their their being a school teacher and uh, and so that became an issue and then you then the third one is the question of taxes right um because because ministers of the gospel receive some tax benefits from the government mm-hmm. um so so you get a, a few very mundane questions that that start to kind of kind of get people thinking about this um but underlying all of that do you remember last week scott one, the book that i um the book one of the books that I mentioned in our series was that democratization of American Christianity. Right, right. Because a lot of this, I think, kind of comes down to a question of authority. Where does the authority lie? Does the authority lie with the pastor, with the congregation? And then where does this other category fit in terms of authority? And I should also mention probably the other office that that would – um that would have been in place in the 19th and early 20th century would be the office of deaconess. Um, cause I mean, there were definitely no question that there were deaconesses in the 19th and 20th century. Well, not a lot, but there are mm-hmm. no doubt there are, there were some. Yeah. Uh, and what, and what do we call those? But uh, I think that a lot of it comes down to a question of authority on one end and, a, and also sort of an issue of, um, I don't know quite what the term is. Legitimacy, um, public recognition, acknowledgement. I mean, realistically, yeah, pastors don't generally make a boatload of money, and right. and and again, realistically, church workers and however we want to define that make less. Mm-hmm. So, how do we honor and acknowledge and recognize all of these various people that are doing many? really important things for the life of the church um and when we can't when we can't pay them what they're probably worth well one way we can do that is to is to is to recognize that this is a public office that this is a called called thing and what does called mean in that case hmm. well one thing the ctcr document has going for it is that it is is clear that these auxiliary, what it calls these auxiliary offices are, first of all, a human institution. Okay. Um, in one sense. Okay. In the sense that, um, but in another sense, they're kind of divine. It's kind of a strange thing because it's a divine call still, but that what they are doing is assisting the pastor, assisting him in doing, uh, particular functions of his office. Mm-hmm. And if they're and if they're not, then they are not probably a legitimate auxiliary offices. If they're doing something else that has no real, um, you know, so you you know the real tie to the office of word and sacrament. So what does I, auxiliary I, mean? I mean, doesn't it mean like helping assisting. or assisting yeah. something yeah. like that? Right, right. And I think that's exactly what I mean. Uh, so that's what, that's how it teach you know how the document presents this and but it does it does it is pretty clear that these auxiliary offices are all under the supervision and authority of the pastor. Hmm. What this document doesn't do is describe the balance between the authority of the pastor and the authority of the congregation. 
Right. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a document on the ministry, not a document on church and ministry. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so that, it's a little a more narrow. Subject. Yeah, that's a very important subject. But this document doesn't primarily I mean, it might allude to it, but it doesn't re, you know, it might it might have some mentioning, you know, of course, you're, the call comes by, you know, from God through the church. It, you know, it, it recognizes the role of the church, but it really doesn't dwell on that. Hmm. Um, but it does in comparison, you know, with these other offices in comparison to the pastor. He's the one whose call it is to administer word and sacrament. Their call is is by extension of his call. Um, have, and have you, if I can interrupt for just a second, no, we go ahead. Have, have you served in congregations that had other called staff? I in my previous church we had one called staff. I've never served in a church with a school. Okay, okay, but 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 my musician at my previous congregation was is called. And what, and what was what was her title there? Like director of parish music. Director of parish music. Okay, yeah. And and here where I am now, I have a um, I have a deaconess as I've mentioned before, and the deaconess is the only other called staff here. Um, but we do have a a, a large preschool kindergarten program here. Ninety five kids. And one of the things that we are looking pretty seriously at doing is is getting our Lutheran teachers and the director to go through the colloquy program, the Senate, right. which would mean, among other things, that they would that they would go through a synodical training in, in theological training, uh, and that the end of that process is that they would be commissioned as as rostered. Rostered church workers as rostered teachers. And so I've had some really interesting conversations in just, all right, well, what does the word colloquize mean? <laughs> right. And, and what are we actually trying to do for them and for us mm-hmm. uh, along, along the way? It's been very interesting because, you know, I've been trying to explain this to people for a couple, three months here. And it is not as easy as one might think. <laughs> well, are they are they are they members of your church? Yeah, the they're members of my congregation. Oh well, yeah. that's that, that at least is a really strong starting point. Absolutely, and that's and that's kind of our our point is we want we want to strengthen the relationship between our church and school, and we want to take seriously the theological and the the theological and biblical underpinnings of our school. Yeah. And the best way to do that or one of the best ways to do that is going to be to continue to catechize and to strengthen the catechesis of our te- of our teachers and of the director. I mean, just yeah. really that's sim- really that simple, which is all great. But it is but it is really interesting at how hard it is to try to explain to other people what I'm talking about <laughs> that don't that don't have any of this sort of right. backstory of of you know, commission minister or, you know, to the people here, a minister means pastor. Yeah. Okay. It's just that simple. And, and, you know, and, and I'm in one little congregation, you know, one, one, you know, this is my own personal bubble here or whatever, but that's what people think. And so it has been very interesting to try to do. And we've, we've kind of in an ongoing way, continued that conversation with my deaconess. You know, and with and with catechizing people about what the office of the deaconess is, and you know, and it's easy when you talk about these offices to uh, to want to describe them negatively. Mm-hmm. The deaconess is not a pastor, 
Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what is so what is she? You know, and and kind of going going down that road. So it's it's an interesting challenge, and 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 I I expect, and I don't know. You may you may have a different view on this than I do, Scott. But that the that the reasons that this matters to people are going to vary widely based mm-hmm. on their context. And, you know, are you talking about someone going to school for this? Are you talking about a congregation? Are you talking about a pastor? Um, and what does that, you know, what does that even mean? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, so if if your teachers go through colloquy and get their training and become right. called commissioned ministers of your congregation, yep. Yep. how does your operation of your kindergarten change, change. you know, it, it, you know, does it, um, it, you know, in what ways, you know, how does the rubber hit the road? In other words, right. what, how does what, this what, actually help us as a congregation to confess Christ? your mission? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of the magic. I think, you, I think you can argue that it does. I mean, I think I, you can, I do too. I think the argument, at least that the doc CTCR document makes is that you can't, you are delegating part of your teaching office um, you know, as the pastor, you're to instruct the youth. That's part of your role as a right. pastor is to instruct right. the children in the things of God. And you are uh, deli- in, a, in a church of a certain size with a large uh, uh, kindergarten program. You want to be able to delegate some of that teaching responsibility to them. And they might need training in order to be able to do that, I, to do now, that well. It, it, this kind of forces me to to – to look down a rabbit hole for just a second. And, you know, I like rabbits. Do you like bunnies? Yeah. 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 Sure. And, and here's good the, with a little bit of pepper. A little pepper, right? Maybe some hot, and pfeffer. It's very tasty. Yeah. Anyway, um, and the rabbit hole is, I'll, I'll say, a, a two-kingdom rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, my study is right next to the directors here. And so I I'm, see what is happening and what she does every day and 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 the work that she does she works every bit as hard as i do probably more um it is it is very challenging work uh there's there's so many pieces to it some of it is is teaching the youth right but if we were to be honest and i'm sure that uh, she would agree with me most of it is not mhm but she's making it possible so that others are doing that. Yes. Right. So it as, is as an administrative yeah. position. Well, but, you know, even let, let's take a teacher in a classroom. Um, a teacher in a classroom, some of what they do is going to be teaching the Christian faith. Um, but not everything that they do. And maybe not even if you were to sort of count out the time, most of what they do. Right. And so right. you've got this this sort of really interesting two kingdom stuff going on here where they're teaching or they're uh, on the way that I would try to look at or have looked at it as they're assisting parents and mm-hmm. the congregation in, in teaching these children how to live in the world. And, you know, that's going to include reading, writing, arithmetic, et cetera, yeah. um, how to live kind of first article stuff, but it is absolutely not just, you know, this is not a Bible camp that goes around every, you know, nine months a year or whatever. So it so it becomes much much more messy when uh, when you get down to how is this time actually spent 
And yeah. and that being the case, what does it mean to have a divine call to teach math? Right. Does that mean Christian math? I mean, what right. is Christian math? No, you're right. I mean, these are the questions of a Lutheran school. You know, any yeah. any kind of a time you have a parochial school, is this uh, is this a divine institution? And you know, I think a case can be made. I, um, you know, certainly you want to teach them reading so that they can read the scripture. I mean, I think that's the ultimate goal of having a school. Um, but you know, you you also include the other disciplines so that sure. they can. So that they, you want to develop a Christian worldview. I think, you know, teaching here at a university, we, we grapple with this and I've only been here a short time, so I can't say that I'm sort of a seasoned teacher. Sure. But, um, but I have observed that the university grapples with this a lot. You know, how, what's our, what's our identity as a Lutheran institution, as a Christian institution? Right. right. And, and, and how does, how does proclaiming Christ occur? Uh, you know, the, one of our mottos here at Concordia Irvine is, or at least I don't know if it's an official motto, but one of the things I hear a lot is that we are the Great Commission University. Hmm. And, you know, so there's discussion about how does that happen in the classroom? And if you're teaching math, if you're teaching art, if you're teaching, um, you know, it's obvious, I think, more obvious when you're teaching theology. But we're, you know, making, I think, a healthy stab at making sure that our goal, which is to form, you know, I'm going to fall into the, just quoting the mission statement here, but you, sure, know, to, that's all right. you know, to develop wise cultivated citizens and, um, and, but it is very possible to do that without necessarily talking about Jesus very much. And, and we want to make sure that we're not, I, I, I or think explicitly. That, yeah, explicitly. And I think that we want to try to make sure that we're doing, our mission, our ultimate mission, which is to provide an education, but not just for its own sake. Uh, it, it always leads to the yeah. gospel and comes from the gospel. So, yeah. Well, and, and yeah. so it's, it is really interesting on how all of this stuff kind of, you know, just moves in and out of each other and how to, and I don't want to get bogged down in the, in simply the, the, the power questions, you know, who has the, who has the right, right. to do what? You know, I, that was one of my questions when I got here was one of the things in my call document is that I am the quote unquote supervisor of the staff. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, does that mean <laughs> I set their salaries? No. Um, does that mean that they clock in and out and I do performance reviews for them? No. So what does it, what does that mean as a pastor? What mm-hmm. does that, what does that mean? Um, and is that a more left-hand kingdom-ish thing <laughs> or not? And, and so, it, yeah, it's, it's easy for us to look at these, to look at these matters, I think, and see them as, oh, this is just a bunch of kind of theological mumbo jumbo and everybody's doing all the good stuff and it's fine. But, you know, we, I think we have to we have to wrestle with these things as pastors and understand where does my office kind of interface with these other offices and what does it even mean to hold an office along the way. Yeah, that's what we call mission drift, right? Yeah. You know, where right. where you know you're doing lots of stuff, but is it really the stuff that you need to be doing and should be doing? Um, as individuals, you as an individual, your deaconess, 
um, and as a congregation? Well, I mean, that's a good question to all, that should be addressed and probably continually looked at. You're always going to be saying, are we doing what we're what we're called right. by God to do here? Yeah. And are we doing it as well as we can? And, you know, or are we allowing the mundane things and the, the daily concerns of life pull us, distract us? And that, uh, you might find that, you, you know, I could, I can envision a pastor in an, in doing a lot of administrative work, uh, really having to kind of rethink how he's serving as a pastor right. and, and maybe delegating some of that even. Um, well, anyway, it's a, that's another discussion. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a, it's a good one. I'm really glad, you, I'm glad you brought this up, Scott, because I think it's a, I think it's one that, that pastors have to wrestle with. Um, and, and we've, we've been kind of taking this from the perspective of wrestling with, uh, with, with other called rostered workers. And this is just a tiny scratch on that topic. But I think you could ask the exact same question about volunteers. Now, what is our, mm-hmm. what is, what is my authority in relation to one of my parishioners that has an office here? You know, the whatever coordinator of education. You know, how am I to, how am I to pastorally interface with them? Uh, and what point are they assisting me in my vocation as the pastor here? And, and at what point is this sort of quasi independent of me? As the pastor, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. it's messy, 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 messy. There's one thing we know about being a pastor. It's messy. Yeah. So it's good. Yeah. It's good. Feel like we've uh, done what, what damage I we do. can do on this for now? I do. All right. Well, you can find uh, the show notes for this episode at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 38. And you can get a hold of us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. And I would certainly encourage you to do so if you have any ideas or thoughts. You can even make it an audio comment. Just record something on your phone and send us the audio file. And we'll, uh, we'll do our best to uh, plug that into the show here. That would be wonderful. Um, but that, uh, that's kind of where all of those things go. I also want to mention before our last last segment. Uh, please don't forget about the tip jar. We have uh, uh, several hundred dollars worth of expenses that are coming up this next week. And uh, it would be uh, nice. And my family, speaking for myself, at least would uh, really appreciate a little bit of a uh, little bit of help on uh, getting that stuff covered for us. So if you're able to help with that, you can find the find that in the show notes, or you can just go to tip jar on the webpage. Awesome. Awesome, indeed. So, Scott, uh, what's bringing you joy this week, pray tell? Well, you know that we we talk a lot about books on this program, and and um, often I choose a book. But now that what I'm choosing today is a journal, and I don't think I've mentioned this one in previous episodes. Okay. Although we're getting to the point where I need to start reviewing past episodes to make sure I'm not repeating things. But there's a journal uh, called Christian Research Journal. Um, you know, pastors ought to subscribe to certain theological journals and things to edify them and things to continually uh, inform them and educate them. And I've often on over the years subscribed to this. You've heard of it, right? Christian Research Journal? Sure. Or no? Yep. Yeah. I mean, and so it's apologetic stuff mostly, but uh, I just, I just resubscribed to it after not having it for a while. And the current or the issue that the first issue I received, you know, has articles about, 
um, uh, race and uh, the change that's happened in our culture regarding homosexuality and how that's infiltrated into the church somewhat. I mean, so it's, it deals with very current things. It deals with uh, alternative spiritualities and philosophies mm. and cults and world religions and, and worldviews. And I have found it to be very helpful. And sometimes some of our Lutheran uh, compadres write for it. Uh, once in a while, I'll see someone's name in there that I know. Um, but I recommend it. I, I think, again, I think that um, uh, you need to have certain journals that you're going to subscribe to and read. I've fallen into the thing where I subscribe to things and then don't read them. Right. And I get a stack of unread journals and then I think, oh, that's silly and I unsubscribe. Right. So, you know, if you're disciplined enough to 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 actually read some things, this is one that I, I enjoy um, and I find – I'm always finding absolutely practical and applicable insights. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it has been – I don't think I've ever subscribed to it. I, it's one of those things that I have kind of seen and – Jumped around to from uh, from time to time, but I don't think that I have ever uh, ever actually subscribed to it. Um, well, like I said, it, you know, it, it. What I like about it is that it has a wide range of subject matter. You know, hmm. you might have it, it's going to do it's going to have articles about what's big in the culture at the time. You know, if there's a if there you know a, a year or two ago when there was that three year old little boy that. Um, you know, had a near death experience or whatever, right, and they made right. it into a movie and they made it into a best selling book. And a, a lot of right. people in my church read it. Heaven is for real. Yep. And, yep. and so they had, they had an issue devoted to heaven and, hmm. you know, just kind of debunking some of that stuff and, and taking some of this is, is primarily from an evangelical perspective. So, you know, it's going to have that element. Um, but I've, I've over the years, I have found some really helpful, interesting and you know, a timely articles in that journal. So interesting. It's my recommendation for the week. Interesting indeed. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Christian Research Journal. Well, my bringer of joy, Scott, is my driver's license. <laughs> now, why you may be asking there? is my driver's yeah. license my bringer of joy? And the reason it's my bringer of joy is because I will be so joyful when I find my driver's license. I, I uh, said earlier that um, that I had uh, that I'd gone to Oregon for this pastors' conference. Well, I get to the airport, and I am you know just kind of going going through stuff, and I can't find my driver's license. It's gone. It's not in my wallet. My flight leaves in an hour, and so I go through you know everything that I have, and it is not there. I still haven't and found it. That was four days. You ago. have no memory of of taking I have it out. No of memory wall. of taking it out, and I never, I never. Never right. leave my driver's license anywhere. It is right. always in my wallet. And uh, and so what I discovered along the way here is that the question, can you get on an airplane without a photo ID? The answer to that question is yes. Um, you have to uh, you have to be much more comfortable with a uh, lack of lack of personal space. Because you're going to go through a, a much, much more thorough uh, examination <laughs> by the TSA to get through. Um, that was exciting and, uh, and such. And it will take longer, but you can do that. What you cannot do, however, is rent a car. So my, uh, my trip to this, uh, to this conference last week or the, earlier this week was much more exciting because I got to go on a, uh, on, on Portland's public trans, uh, their public transit system called the Max. Uh, and then I, and then I got to 
walk about a mile and a half to get to the uh, to get to the Amtrak station, uh, and then I had to wait around for a few hours before taking an Amtrak bus to to this little town, only to discover that the bus station was also about a mile from where the place was. So then I was so I've been hauling my suitcase around for this whole thing. So the bottom line to all this, Scott, is that I will be really joyful when I find my driver's license. So, that's that's quite a story. It this, was this, it was an know, adventure. I'm not, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. You're laughing at me. I know. No. You. Yeah. <laughs> I look. This could very easily be me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I haven't left, had that particular experience, but um, I I feel like I can relate somehow. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll see what it shows up. If uh, if any of our listeners have my driver's license or know where it is, please uh, please get a hold of me as soon as you can because that would just be awesome. And on that pious note, Scott, I think that that should probably call it for the morning. What do you say? Yep, I think yep, so. I Thanks think for so. listening. Yes, absolutely. And we will see you guys next time. <laughs>